2: Changed, good day, wherever you're listening from, and welcome to Indoor Air Quality Radio, IAQ Radio for Friday, December 21st, 2007. This week, episode 63 comes to you from Studio B in Coriopolis, Pennsylvania. My name is Joe Hughes, or Radio Joe. Here with me in the studio is my co-host, the Z-Man, Cliff Slotnick. Hey, Joe, good afternoon. Good morning, Cliff. Good afternoon, good day. And with us is the cyber jockey, CJ, Zach Slotnick. (laughs) Hey,
0: Joe, it's great to be here.
2: Hello, Zach. And the wingman, Chris Boisel. Good I bet afternoon, Deter, Joe. Good afternoon, Chris. I bet Dieter would like that sound. Effect. A lot of G's this morning. <laughs> okay. yeah, yeah, a lot of G's. All right, today's segments include the micro band trivia quiz. We've got Mr. Greg Long, the director of operations of Ducks. And we've got Mr. Glenn Fellman with an IE Connections What's News. We've got the Roundup, and we've got a great show in line here for our last show of 2007. Looking forward to it. First, let's thank our sponsors, Microband Systems, the microbial management company at microbandsystems.com.
4: Indoor Environment Connections, the newspaper for the IAQ industry. Subscriptions and advertising information available at i.e.connections.com.
2: DryEase Products, providing equipment for drying water damaged homes and buildings. DryEase is first in drying solutions at DRI EAZ.com. That's dryease.com.
4: And John Don Products, where restoration and abatement contractors shop at J -O 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 O N D O N.
2: All right, to contact the show, you can get yourself a, you know, you go to talkshoe, T-A-L-K-S-H-O-E.com, go to their website, follow the directions, get yourself a PIN number, our show ID is 1547, or just click the little, uh, they've got a little thing, I forget, that little clicker they send now, and it goes out with the announcement. You can just click on there and join the show nowadays. They're starting to make some great progress. Or you can uh, email me with questions at Joe dot hughes h-u-g-h-e-s at I A Q iaqtraining.com or cliff at cliff zlotnik z-l-o-t-n-i-k at unsmoke.com and of course you can always go to our I A Q iaqradio.com website and post questions there in the forum section last but not least please visit the iaq training institute website for the most current dates for the training you trust at IAQtraining.com. I'm going to turn it over to Cliff for the microband trivia question. Thanks, Joe.
4: Apologies for a technical difficulty. We understand that the comments section was closed on our website. So please go there to answer the trivia questions. Again, go to the website. Click on Trivia, and the portals are open to answer those questions.
2: Got a couple past ones that are available. Mind those past questions. Get your prizes. Absolutely. Win cool stuff and have your name mentioned to
4: the world on IAQ Radio. There you go. Okay. All right, Cliff. What's this week? All right. The Microband Trivia question for Friday, December 21st, comes out of the HVAC, Heating, Ventilation, and Air Conditioning Field. We're looking for a definition. Blank is the transfer of heat from a place where it is not wanted to a place where its presence is not undesirable. Back to you, Joe. Okay, very
2: good. Thank you, Cliff. Let's uh, introduce our first guest. We have a little musical intro for Mr. Long. Uh, Deep in the heart of Texas, in 1973, Greg Long and his father Earl started a company called Texas PowerVac, Inc. Their company was developed to clean heating, ventilation, and air conditioning systems, and it was truly a pioneer in the HVAC cleaning industry in the southern United States. After several years of service company, the service company divided into five service companies. They had the TPV Group, TPV Air, TPV Restoration, Remediation, and a big cleaning plant. They eventually developed into an organization with over 100 employees that had service divisions, in HVAC cleaning industry, along with restoration, remediation, and one I didn't know about, which is the Contents Cleaning Industries. They also developed a unique 52,000-square-foot cleaning plant capable of cleaning all types of structured contents. They provided services for many high-profile claims and cases, along with services for high profile clients including Baylor University, the University of Texas, Texas Department of Transportation, the Governor's Mansion and numerous other state of Texas buildings. In 2005, Greg made the transition from the service industry to consulting full time. He makes his 33 years of building hygiene service experience available to help his clients make better decisions on indoor air related issues for their properties. Currently, he is the Director of Operations for Ducks National Service Team, a national HVAC cleaning firm for large commercial HVAC cleaning projects. Greg was also a founding member of the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, and served on the board of directors and as a president of the association. He also has served on standard writing committees for 15 years. He's got an air systems cleaning specialist certification. He's a Class A licensed air conditioning contractor in the state of Texas. He also served on the Indoor Air Quality Association's board of directors for numerous years, where he was the treasurer, and uh, he was a chairman of an advisory council for Texas Tech University, for their indoor air quality program and he has a certified indoor air quality technician certification from Texas Tech. I never knew that existed. He has estimated and managed numerous large cleaning and restoration projects. The latest noteworthy were HVAC cleaning and restoration for Tulane University after Hurricane Katrina and several large projects as part of the California wildfire response team. We'll be talking more about those during the show. He is also by the way uh experienced in industrial power transmission and has worked with all types of all types of uh, mechanical and electronic drive and conveying systems. So Greg's got a long line of experience here. We're looking forward to bringing him on if we can. We have um guest number 2 unmuted. Hello Greg.
5: Hello Joe. Oh. Uh, thank you thank you for the introduction. I think you just told everybody how old I am.
2: <laughs>
5: <laughs>
2: well, Greg, you know, I that was actually one of our first questions was um, You know, you really have an interesting background. And. Uh, oh, impressive. <laughs> <laughs> you have an impressive and interesting background. I, some of it I didn't know about, and we've known each other for probably five years now. Um, would you consider yourself a second generation HVAC systems cleaning specialist?
5: Uh, I think so, Joe. The the industry actually started several years ago to address huffbacks in homes uh, up in the north, and it eventually moved to the south and started evolving into, into a, a a necessary uh, maintenance issue for HVAC systems. And when, when we started our business in 1973, I think we were only the second company in Texas to ever do it
2: the second in, in Texas, but there were other people doing puffbacks. Could you tell us, uh, for the listeners that aren't aware, what is a puffback?
5: Uh, you know, Joe, I never did get involved with any, but from what I understand, uh, some of the old oil furnaces up in up in the northern part of the country would uh, get clogged up and puff soot back into the house.
2: I
4: see. And
5: Cl- then they would have to go in and, and clean the systems, yes.
4: Essentially, what it really is, it's a it's a malfunction of a heating system with an oil burner, and it, there are a number of different causes. And what happens is, Greg's right; it causes some sort of emission, and you end up getting high levels of particulate throughout the system, and it's quite a mess.
2: I'm assuming that you, however, and and when you got the family business started, you were more, was it more in air conditioning cleaning of um, air conditioning type systems or both?
5: Yes. Yes, in Texas, uh, uh, the, the main sources of heat down here are either uh, natural gas or, or electricity. And uh, uh, that's, that's how we started back in 73, was cleaning uh, central systems that uh, down here were a combination of heat, heating, and cooling. And uh, um, in 19 the early 60s is when air conditioning really started to become prominent down here, and in 1973, we still had some heating systems that had been converted to central air systems, also.
2: And since you started in 1973, you know, how have these systems and, and cleaning them changed? I'm, I'm, I'm assuming there's been big changes in the equipment and, and possibly the processes, the types of employees you've had. Can you touch on those areas a little bit?
5: Well, yes, Joe, there, there's been significant changes in the industry. I remember back when we started. Uh, nobody in the industry had learned how to use compressed air. We didn't have uh, rotary brush systems. We didn't have pneumatic brush systems. Basically, what we did is open the system, the ductwork system, up and put it under um, lots of suction with truck mounted suction machines. And we used handheld tornado blowers to move additional air. We used brushes and tornado blowers to hand brush and move the air through the systems. Now, obviously, um, you know we the industry has evolved. There's all kinds of uh, tools available to the contractors now, from rotary brushes, pneumatic brushes, to uh, HEPA-filtered vacuum cleaning machines, portable collection machines to use inside of buildings. And you know the 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 addition of compressed air to our industry has helped tremendously.
4: Greg, many duct cleaning companies, particularly those in the residential sector, currently use these dramatically enlarged photos of dust mites to scare, terrorize, heighten awareness of their customers into having their ducks clean. What was the compelling reason in 1973 that your residential clients were having their ducks clean? Well,
5: first of all, I've never used the scare tactic to try to convince a a client that they needed to have their system cleaned. Uh, You know, if their system was truly in need of cleaning, it was relatively a fairly easy sell to show them what needed to be done. Um, Unfortunately, the blown-up photograph of dust mites has been a uh, misconception in this industry for years. Um, It's used as a scare tactic, and, you know, people understand dust mites, very seldom do you find uh, a lot of dust mites in the system. Anyhow, and if you do, the, the rest of the house it has become even a more major problem with dust mites.
4: Thanks for clearing that up for our customers. Are today's more efficient HVAC systems harder or easier to clean than the systems in the 70s?
5: Now, uh, particularly on the residential side, they, they've become a little bit more difficult. You've got uh, your electronic circuit boards that uh, are in, in the way a lot of the times and have to be moved out of the way to remove the blowers from the systems. Uh, the fin spacing on the coils has become much clo- closer space to uh, help increase the efficiency of the system, which makes it much more difficult to properly and thoroughly clean the, uh, the, the evaporator coils in the systems.
2: And that's a part of, I guess, getting more efficiency out of the system, be- putting the fin spacing closer together?
5: That, that's correct. And the, the way a lot of these systems are set up to operate, um, they actually, if, particularly if they're not designed properly, they, they do add more humidity into the system, which results in uh, usually um, additional microbial contamination within within the supply plenum or the ductwork
2: system. It would seem this these newer systems would actually need cleaning more often then since they're, Spaced so closely, you know, so tight. Is are you seeing that, or are people aware of that, or is that something we need to get the word out better on?
5: Most people aren't aware of that. Uh, I think with time, people will start to understand that. But uh, um, particularly the evaporator coils in the systems; uh, these high efficiency systems do need attention much more frequently. Okay. And you know, it's it's. It's much more important now with these type fin spacings on these coils to run a higher efficiency filter in the system and, and try to keep as much of the dust and contaminants out of the coil as possible.
2: Craig, I've got a, a question for you. Do do HVAC system cleaners finally get respect? I tell you, uh, I don't get no respect. No respect <laughs> at all. <laughs>
5: <laughs> uh, Joe, yes, yeah, it's, it's it's pretty amazing. The, uh, the, I would say the acceptance of the industry, particularly within the last 10 years, and even more so the, the respect that we've gained in the last, uh, last five years. Um, we're getting um, much-deserved de- respect from uh, insurance companies, from uh, um, a- uh, mechanical contractors. Um, we're getting respect from property owners. Uh, and uh, management companies on the commercial level, and we're also we're also getting respect from the uh, HVAC industry as, as a lot of people know um, ACA has just developed a ANSI um, standard for cleaning HVAC systems, which that's a huge step forward for for our industry and the uh, um, HVAC cleaning industry when you get that kind of recognition from from Akka
2: Got you pulled over, Greg. Aka. we need to have the acronym POLICE out here. Um, Aka is the Air Conditioning Contractors Association. Is that accurate? Yeah, that's correct. Okay, great. All right, you're free to go, the... <laughs> sir. <laughs> that's all right. That, we, we caught you in a speed trap.
4: uh uh-huh. <laughs> You know, you, you're, um, you mentioned how um, HVAC system cleaning specialists are, are now you know the services are acknowledged, and you're getting respect from all these sectors. It seems to me that their government's really not giving you respect. That you know, EPA has this position, and I would even consider it a derogatory statement in this pamphlet that they've published on HVAC system cleaning. You know, can you comment on that?
5: Yeah, well, I think um, you, you said the key word government because. You know, uh, things in the government have a tendency to, to move slow, and recognition of these type things moves slower, and plus, you know, um, in defense of the government, they, they've got to be very careful of, of what, they, what they endorse and, and so forth. Um, I, I would see, I, I can foresee that that position will change um, in, in the future, but somebody's going to have to take the initiative and work with them and make them understand the difference between proper HVAC cleaning and um, leaving these systems
2: dirty. And for those listeners that aren't familiar with that document, it's called Should You Have the Air Ducts in Your Home Cleaned I believe, and it's at EPA.gov and it is, um, you know, it's pretty well, it's pretty derogatory but on the other hand it does say if you see microbial contamination or gross contamination that you should have those systems cleaned. All right, I'm curious, Greg, do you are you familiar with how EPA came up with that recommendation? I know that document's pretty old. Are you familiar with why they came out with that recommendation?
1: No, Joe,
5: I'm, I'm, I'm really not. Um, I, I know they did some studies years ago, but I'm not familiar with what, what led up to producing that particular document.
2: I'm, I'm curious if it, it may have something to do with the next question, which is that I, you know, I, I travel the country, I do training, and I collect these little ads. And these ads will say whole house duck cleaning from anywhere. The lowest I've collected is for $25, but normally they're around $99. Now, are these always bait-and-switch type ads, or are there people that really think they can clean your ducks for $99? No, they're
5: they're always, uh, almost always, I would say, bait-and-switch. Very seldom. uh, You know, we've talked to too many clients that have, Fallen into that trap, and by the time the contractor gets through, the client's paying between seven and eight hundred dollars for for a duct cleaning. Uh, it's simple math, you know. Uh, if somebody's paying somebody uh, fourteen, fifteen, eighteen dollars an hour to work, and it takes an average of uh, four to six hours to clean a house, and then you've got fuel, you've got material, and you've got overhead on top of that, uh, you can't expect much for ninety nine dollars.
2: I'm curious what what can listeners expect to pay to have a proper systems cleaning. And I guess we should differentiate between just cleaning the ducts and the system. We can do that in a moment. But to have the whole system cleaned, the coils, the housing of the unit, the supply return, and all the above. So let's say uh, 2,500 square foot, something like that. Okay.
5: You know, there's going to be a lot of variables that uh, adjust that price. It's going to depend upon... You know what part of the country you're in, what type of uh, contamination, the accessibility to the systems, and so forth. But uh, in most cases, for a house that size, I think you could expect to pay anywhere from 450, 750 in that range for
4: for a proper cleaning. Okay. You know, and I think maybe a little bit higher. Yeah, you know, I think you and I have some seniority uh, on on Joe. I think we've known each other probably going back to the late 70s. Anyway, I certainly remember your pop. Um, yeah,
5: I, re- I remember from the first time I met you, Cliff, I think it was uh, in either 79 or 80.
4: Tell my son I was thin and had hair. And <laughs> 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 all all those all those things they say about say me. Yeah. I'm not going to say
5: anything, uh, Cliff, because I'm in the same boat.
4: I understand. <laughs> well, you know, what I was thinking about is maybe uh, calling on your historical side to maybe go back in time a little bit and, you know, just tell me, you know, what was your most memorable job you know going back to your early days anything really stick in your mind
5: i think probably the most memorable one i did was uh we were called to address some real serious situations with the hvac and duff work system in the governor's mansion in texas and at the time now president bush was governor of texas and uh uh it was it was a pretty ugly sight of what we found there and but you know, probably the most memorable part was in uh, doing the project. Um, our our men had to set up the blueprints on a picnic table outside, and uh, Laura Bush would come out every morning, sit there and read her paper, and drink her coffee, and treat our people just like they were her own children, and talk to them and so forth. And then, you know, uh, the governor he would walk around every once in a while, and, you know, very pleasant people. And uh it was just a very unique experience and uh we were able to successfully um remedy the problem in in the house
4: was this more of a biological problem or other types of contaminant or deferred maintenance or all the above or you know uh, it, it
5: it was basically a biological problem in the HVAC system from a uh a poorly designed system that had been put in several years in the past
2: I see so I guess they had excess humidity in the system? Oh yes. Okay.
4: Yes.
2: And and I guess you had a happy client, and you got paid, or we wouldn't be talking about it. <laughs> That's good. Exactly. That's good news there. I right, well let's go back to the question I sort of alluded to earlier and that is about cleaning the entire system and not just the ductwork. I'm I've I'm more familiar with the NADCA standard and I know they have been pushing, cleaning the entire system, and I'm just curious what, um, you know, if you could let our listeners know a little bit about why it's so important to clean the entire system instead of just cleaning your ducts, or maybe maybe I'm wrong. Maybe sometimes there are times when you can just clean the ducts.
1: Well, the,
5: the question, the answer to your last statement is yes, there are times that you can just clean the ducts, and that's primarily if they've removed the old air handler or, Old unit and replaced it with a new one, and uh, have kept the old ductwork in place. And uh, that's um, it, it's prudent to clean the ductwork then because obviously the new air hammer is going to uh, operate the design capacity, and any loose dust or debris that's laying in there will will be blown out due to the increased CFM. Uh, existing systems, um, the majority of the contaminants are built up within the system itself. They're, they're, they're built up in the, uh, in, the, in the fan or the blower, in the heat exchangers, heating elements, and particularly in the coils and supply plenum. And to just go in and clean the ductwork and leave at least 90 percent of the contaminants in the air handler itself is, you know, it just doesn't make any sense. It's kind of like the old saying, you know, when you go, when you change the oil in your car, you, if you don't change the filter, You've immediately recontaminated the new oil, and the same thing's true when cleaning air systems.
2: Okay, I've got. Uh, we're gonna take a break in about five minutes, Greg. But before I do, I, I'd like to ask you one question, and then I think Cliff has one. First, I want to kind of you know move forward in time a little bit here. I understand that you know ducts, and you're a director of operations there, and they are a division of Belfour USA. Is that accurate?
5: that's true uh balfour purchased ducks back in july and we're we're actually a wholly um held separate company of balfour uh we are still going to um stay as ducks we're we're a complete separate company it's just that we're owned by balfour holdings
2: and i'm i'm curious about i've i've been trying to keep up with this new training center that you're building i talked to um Tom Yacobelis a little bit about it, and I was trying to follow it on the camera. They had a webcam up, but it wasn't working very well. Can you tell us a little bit about that new training center that you're developing?
5: Yes, Joe. I, I got the um, opportunity to uh, walk through it last Saturday when I was in Ann Arbor, and uh, it's, it's going to be a pretty ph- phenomenal facility. Uh, Tom Yacobelis has actually gone in and built a complete house inside the facility, that um, is gonna be used for training that it has just about every type of scenario you could expect to encounter when uh, cleaning HVAC systems inside of a house. Plus it's also been designed for Balfour to use it for training for um, uh, flood situations and things like that. We we can train HVAC cleaning, we can train uh, infiltration uh, diagnostics, and things like that. the, the, the training center is going to be one of a kind in that it's going to have hands-on training stations where people can actually get in and physically tear systems apart, put systems back together, access ductwork, clean ductwork. Uh, the ductwork systems are set up where you can watch everything going on inside of them. There's going to be, uh, of course, classroom facilities. There's going to be audio, video. It's, we're real, real excited about this training facility. Um, we, we're expecting pretty significant growth over the next few years, and this training facility is going to make it a lot easier for us to train our network people.
4: You know, you have a wide-ranging client base on your resume, and I was just wondering if you could comment just on some of the more unusual contaminants other than dust that you've removed from an HVAC system.
5: Well, obviously, um, particularly in the part of the country I'm from, uh, we we have to deal with mold contamination uh, just about on a daily basis. But, uh, you know, in the past, um, we've also had to remove tuberculosis from ductwork systems for medical facilities. We've had to remove um, staff from ductwork systems. Uh, uh, Believe it or not, we've we've found money. Uh, Probably my most interesting job is we did a – uh, cleaned the HVAC and ductwork systems in a um, athletic dorm for a major university that was built in the early 50s and had never been cleaned. And I could probably sit and write a book on just what we found inside that ductwork system. It was very interesting. <laughs> well,
2: we'll have to have you back and talk a little bit about that one again, Greg. But uh, before
5: I don't know, I don't know we want to talk we
2: radio about that. One. <laughs> 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 ah, it was worth a try, um, Greg. Before we go to the indoor environments, what's news? I want to see if um, our technical director, Dr. Dieter while Dietrich, is on the line here. If we unmute Dieter, I want to say hello to him. Oh, well.
1: I, I, I still like Beethoven, so thank you very much. <laughs>
2: Welcome, Dieter.
1: Yes, I was listening very, very carefully. Uh, do we have time for some comments? Absolutely. Sure, absolutely. Uh, a couple of interesting things. Uh, uh, first of all, you know, being an old university professor, I'm 100% for training. If you hire somebody to clean your ductwork who has never been trained and has never done it before, I don't think you can expect too much from the poor guy. That is very uh, cool. uh, I, I am 100% for training. The other thing is, and I, uh, Joe and I, we have been traveling together. Every uh, you know, Most people, uh, many people know that. We have been teaching together. And I have been saying that uh, ventilation systems ought to be engineered. I'm originally a trained mechanical engineer, and I was trained how to do that. Today, we don't do this anymore. Uh, ventilation systems are afterthoughts. So they said, oh, by the way, mm, what are we going to do? A wonderful example is my house. I, just, I needed a new furnace. And interestingly, what uh, uh, Greg said, I looked in the old one. My God, I could have cleaned the old one with an old toothbrush and I would have been fine. I looked into the new one. There are so many nooks and crannies in there. It's just unbelievable. I couldn't believe it. Uh, so, there is a difference between the modern stuff and the the old stuff um, but i i i would be I would be going for engineered systems leave enough room uh, uh, in the in the space wherever that heater or that ventilation system is uh, being installed. Leave enough room that you can put in a nice filter bank. I wanted to put in a better filter than I have I'm back to the 99 cent, you know, whatever it is, 16 by 25 or whatever. I wanted to put in a better filter and I couldn't have moved uh, uh, to my washer and dryer. So there was no room for it. And I didn't want to rebuild my house just because of that. Yeah, thinking about it, I think, is, 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 uh, before you make the mistakes, I think is wonderful.
2: Greg, are you um, running into better designed systems yeah. these days?
5: Yes, Joe, I wanted to comment on that a little bit. Uh, Dieter is, is, is very right. Um, it, it, it's interesting that probably in the 50s and 60s, we saw some very good ductwork systems being put in. And then the, through the six, uh, 70s and 80s, we saw, and particularly the 80s and early 90s, we saw you know, some really poor systems being put in. But now in some of the newer facilities we're working in, we're we're seeing that people are actually paying attention, and they're spending. They're doing better designs. They're spending more money on um, better quality equipment and ductwork. Uh, they're they're um, installing accesses into the ductwork in strategic locations and so forth. So we yes we are seeing an improvement uh, in in the d- designs of the, the the newer systems. But uh, we went through a period that um, it was. Like Dieter said, it was an afterthought. And uh, then I think maybe a little bit of the the new thought comes from the uh, new awareness of indoor air quality issues and so forth. And people are starting to pay a little bit better attention. Um, Even in Texas, we're seeing some builders start to put metal ductwork back in houses now instead of ductboard and flex, which that's a step in the right direction.
2: That's interesting. Dieter, did you have anything else before we go to uh, what's news?
1: Well, yeah, I think we
0: have,
1: we should be in the right direction. I designed, good God, years ago, industrial ventilation systems for grinding operations. I never, ever designed a ventilation HVAC system for an office building. I never did that. I did industrial uh, um, ventilation systems. And I have a Bible. It's called Industrial Ventilation. It's uh, published by the ACGIH, which stands for <laughs> <laughs> which stands for the American uh, um, Conference of Governmental Industrial Hygienists. This is the Bible. This Bible has been around for 50 years by now, and I use all the suggestions that are in there. It's it's, it's wonderful, <clears throat> and I remember you know, every system that I ever built. They were designed clean outdoors. They were part of the design, not an afterthought. I said, ah, let's cut a hole in here and see what we get. I put them in strategic places where you can get to them and where I expect them to be needed to be cleaned. That type of cleaning, of course, is slightly or it's different from uh, an HVAC system in an office building. You know, we are talking about crud from grinding or something like that. But still, yeah. And and I'm glad uh, glad to hear that Greg is uh, mentioning that, too, that we see, again, people paying attention to the detail and say, hey, this makes sense and this doesn't make sense. Let's do it.
2: All right. Greg, anything you wanted to add before we break for what's news?
5: Uh, No, Joe. uh, I just really appreciate the invitation. This has been been a lot of fun, and you've got a great show, and uh, um, I I appreciate uh, what you're doing with this show.
2: Well, thank you. We appreciate having you on, but we're going to bring you back here in a moment if you're staying on with us, correct? Okay, I will. Okay, we're going to break for what we call IE Connections, What's News, then we'll come back with some more questions for Greg Long. And uh, then at the end of the show, we're going to have the roundup. We'll bring the good doctor back in and Glenn and Greg and Cliff and I, and uh, we've got a little special note from the CJ here as well. So let's move on to uh, our intro for What's News?
3: Writing just news is so factually boring.
1: I get assignments that
3: any could do. I am the scapegoat for all of the group. I'm mostly a figure they laugh at, but then I'll be a
2: leader of men. Hello, Glenn. How are you? I'm doing great, Joe. How are you? Very good, thanks. And um, Hello, Cliff. Hello, Greg. Hello, hey, how Dieter how are you? <laughs> Glenn, we've got um, kind of a special edition of What's News. We normally go every other week, but it's the last show. We wanted to bring you on, and I understand you had um, an interesting little tidbit come up here recently. So, What's News?
5: Well, i got a couple things
3: for you. First of all, I want to, if you don't mind, uh, you asked Greg a question. You asked him where that number come from in the EPA duck cleaning document. Yes. Uh, the 450 I personally take credit for that. Everybody bow down to me. Okay. Um, I was working for NADCA in 1997. EPA was writing that document. I got a call from someone in Bob Axelrod's office. And they asked me, what's the going rate for duck cleaning? At that time, 450 was sort of on the high end or maybe the average end. So, I threw out 450 to 1,000 thinking EPA would whittle the number down to what uh, would be sort of the market norm of the time, but instead they just took the number. So, uh, we, we like to think it gave the industry a big boost at the time because uh, EPA suddenly raised the prices on everybody. <laughs> so just a little historical uh, information.
2: For we you love there. the history here, Glenn.
3: All right, great. Um, and then, one other thing before I get into the news uh, Greg Long has been a, a colleague of mine for for many years, going back to about 1990 when we started our uh, regular bet Cowboys versus Redskins the record right now since 1990 is 23 victories for the Cowboys, 12 for the Redskins. We've
0: got,
3: we've got a game coming up December 30th, and if the Cowboys win, I have to deliver a case of beer to Greg Long's front door because that will be 24 victories, Greg. <laughs>
0: <laughs>
3: All, right, All, right, Glenn. All right, now for the news. Um, some interesting developments in the um, last half of December when it's usually very quiet. Uh, In the middle of December, IICRC sent out a revised Memorandum of Understanding to eight industry associations regarding the terms Indoor Environment Professional and the acronym IEP. This has been a subject of controversy for going on two or three years now since the S520 standard was written because the S520 standard references an IEP as the go-to guy for uh, all types of assessment work. And meanwhile, uh, IICRC owns the patent and trademark rights, the service rights, to the terms IEP and Indoor Environment Professional. And a lot of people didn't like that scenario. So what IICRC did was work with stakeholders in the industry to come up with a memorandum of understanding that would uh, define those two terms, IEP and Indoor Environment Professional, as generic industry terms. A memorandum of understanding went out over the summer. Uh, the stakeholder groups all commented back. Uh, there were quite a few things that they objected to. And IICRC turned around and sent out a new one uh, December 13th. The new MOU is met with favor. As a matter of fact, uh, I know that the American Industrial Hygiene Association, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association, and the Society of Cleaning and Restoration Technicians have all agreed to sign on to the MOU. Uh, Meanwhile, the Restoration Industry Association, uh, Indoor Air Quality Association, um, and the Indoor Environmental Standards Organization, among others, haven't had a chance to address this yet because it came out at the end of the year and they just don't have board meetings and and, and things set up where they they can give this the attention it deserves. But it does appear that IICRC is making strong progress towards coming to get some industry consensus on this, which was one of the... Last major stumbling blocks towards getting S five hundred and twenty finalized. So it looks like we're on a on a path to see uh, an S five hundred and twenty coming out in the first part of the next year, which is very exciting.
2: Well, let's see uh, let's see how it goes, and we'll we'll report back to the listeners uh, at the beginning of next year. I've, I've got a, well, I don't know if we can even say, I, Cliff, any comment?
0: Yeah, you know, the only thing
4: I can say is currently on. I'm on the board of directors of the IICRC and apparently you got a document that i didn't get so <laughs> <laughs> if you want to fax me over a copy of them, i'd probably like to see it you'll have to ask ruth for that but I guess um so. okay. <laughs>
3: okay. <laughs> no it, it went out to uh to uh, let's say eight different organizations um of which three have confirmed they're going to sign and uh the other five i think are just uh, uh to wait and see they may or they may not but um it's definitely a, a, a coup for IICRC to, to get AIHA and NADCA and SCRT to all agree to, to be a party to the agreement. Hey, I have one more news item for you. I'm going to be the Grinch who stole Christmas here. All right. I can't help it. I was reading a story just this morning um, they were about a, uh, an MD named John Santilli out in Arizona who was um, looking at Christmas trees. And he did a little study, uh, kind of an informal study, but they measured spore counts in a home right after a Christmas tree uh, went into the home. And by about day three or four, the spore, co- spore count just jumped through the roof. Uh, when you add that to fireplaces burning in the fire and uh, scented candles and all the other things that we bring into our home around the holiday seasons, it can, it can spell an IAQ nightmare. So just keep that in mind this holiday season. You may want to spend time with fem, uh, family and friends, but do it in a
0: healthy way. Spore count or particle count, Glenn?
3: Uh, it was, let's see, after three days of mildly elevated spore counts, the number jumped to 5,000 spores per cubic meter at the end of the second week.
2: I see. Okay. Interesting. So they were specific to the spores. I guess we're bringing um, mold in the house with our trees. who to thunk it, huh? There you go. <laughs> well, thank you, Glenn. We appreciate you joining us, and will you be sticking around for the roundup? Absolutely. Great. We'll have you back then. Let's get back with Mr. Long. Cliff, go ahead. Yeah, what I'd like to do
4: is, I guess, kind of ask you a couple of questions in terms of, um, and, and just gather your opinion. I noticed that be, you have an, air conditioning contractor's license and what I'd like to know is your opinion on whether people in the HVAC system cleaning business really need that license and then the second part of the question is if you had your druthers would you support governmental licensing versus industry certification? Uh,
5: Good question Cliff. Um, In Texas as in a few other states to properly clean HVAC systems, which includes pulling coils, pulling blowers out, accessing the ductwork, you have to be a licensed HVAC contractor. And yes, I, I think it does help. It helps in a couple of ways. It, it helps that, that the people that are in this industry learn and understand a little bit more about HVAC systems, and you know what they're working on. And it also helps keeping uh, the people helps keep the people that are properly doing the cleaning separated from the guys that are just taking diffusers down and running a brush through them with a vacuum hose or something like that and saying that they're cleaning systems. Because in a, in a licensed state, um, at least in Texas, that's all you can do. You can't take the air conditioner apart and clean it if you, if you don't hold a license. So it makes a little separation there. And the answer to your second part of your question is um, I think there's room for both. I think there's room for licensing people to um, help people in the industry understand a little bit more about air conditioning systems and regulating them. And then I think there's also room for industry certification because licensing procedures do not address um our industry, the cleaning industry, the indoor air quality industry, and so forth. So, I think there's still room for certification and people learning more about how our industry ap- impacts uh, the indoor air industry and um, the cleanliness of systems and so forth. So, yeah, I think I think both have their place. Thank you,
2: Greg. You um, you were very instrumental with Nadca early on, and now I understand that. You know, you're using some um, ACA standard as well. And I'm, I'm just curious, what's been the effect of the, the NADCA standards, first of all, on the HVAC systems cleaning world?
5: I think the uh, effect has been uh, tremendous, um, particularly in, in the early years when the standard first came out, uh, Back then, the board of directors saw it necessary to do anything and everything they could to get the standard in the hands of the people in the uh, in the world that uh, could recommend and, and um, uh, specify the standard. And, in fact, we still see some of the very original standards being specified in specifications. Uh, it made a difference. It, it gave people something to um, to. Recommend as as a process to recommend as a level of cleanliness and so forth. The new standard's even better. Um, I think it still needs to be recognized uh, a little bit more in the industry. I think there still is some work to be done to get it in, you know, out into the public sector, into the hands of the engineers, and into the hands of um, maintenance people and so forth. But uh, the, I think the the standard has had a huge impact. On the industry, and
2: I think it's made the industry better. Greg, I I teach these CMR courses, and a part of that course is a uh, an overview of the Nadca standard, the ACR two thousand and six now. And part of that standard includes uh, verification of cleanliness. And I'm I'm just wondering if you could comment a little bit about what you see in the real world out there as far as verification of cleanliness. And for the listeners, there's basically three levels of visual verification and then there's the surface comparison test and then the NADCA vacuum test. Can you kind of comment on those three levels and how often you actually see them?
5: Well, You see the visual almost on every job. Um, You know, my whole thing is, you know, if you can see it and it's not supposed to be there, it wasn't part of the design. It's got to go away. And uh, visual is always the, the the first step that anybody ought to use in in determining if a system has properly been cleaned. Because if there if there is something that is not supposed to be there, then you've got to make a determination. And that's where the uh, vacuum comparison test comes in. Is you can actually see if if that uh, if that uh, debris is, is removable. And uh, then, of course, if it comes down to the ultimate um, decision of, you know, uh, if it comes, becomes a conflict and, you know, you need to go that last step, then you go to the negative vacuum test. Uh, I have not seen that test actually need to be used in a long time. Usually the uh, vacuum comparison test uh, uh, is conclusive enough.
2: And just so you know, I I was just talking to an old friend uh yesterday and I told him you were going to be on the show. Hopefully he's listening, Danny Hunt, who um I know did a little job with you out in uh Seattle, I guess it was, and he was yeah. very uh he, he had very high praise for your um for your thoroughness in doing the visual inspection part of things. And I, I guess the key is to you know, and that's always how what I've wondered. How do you get into the different areas to actually do the visual inspection?
5: Well, you've got to get into them to clean them. So if you can get into them to clean them, you can get into them to inspect them. It's just, uh, you know, uh, the end results are never any better than the enforcement of the specification. You know, we see a lot of jobs where there's a good type specification written for the job, but nobody ever uh, enforces that specification. So. Um uh, you know, if if they if the project has somebody that's gonna enforce the specification and inspect the job, he's gonna find a way to get into those areas to inspect.
2: Okay. And if he can't get into those areas it's probably a good indication that the cleaning company wasn't able to either and, and didn't do the job properly. Is that accurate?
5: Well, that's that's very true. And you know, unfortunately we, we do see some of that in, in the industry. But, you know, with, with the um, new generation of um, robots, video cameras, um, digital cameras, and things like that, uh, it, it's pretty easy to get a good inspection.
2: Okay.
4: I'd like to talk really about the monetary side of it, Greg. What factors do you consider when you're estimating a large HVAC systems cleaning project?
5: Well, you, you know, there there's there's several factors. Um, you know, the... Uh, what is written in the specification? What is the size of the project? What's the allowed time? What's the uh, to, to complete the project? What's the allowed working hours? What's the contamination level? Uh, what's the accessibility to the ductwork in the systems? Things like that. There you know there's a there's a lot of factors that go into it, and uh, you know it, it, in the long run it comes down to you know how much manpower and how much materials and uh, expenses like that are associated with the
2: project thank you Greg as a part of your projects I'm curious about your opinion on the use of cleaning chemicals and what's your personal opinion on the role of cleaning chemicals in the HVAC systems cleaning like I guess we've got coil cleaners antimicrobials encapsulants, condensate pan treatments can you give us a little uh, idea of what you prefer or don't prefer
5: Boy, joe you're wanting to open a can of worms <laughs> that's okay, that's, okay. <laughs>
2: that's why we're here greg <laughs> yeah, I,
5: i'm, I'm going to give you strictly my own personal opinion okay and, uh, you know my personal opinion is the less of any of those things you have to use the better um and then on, on the other side of that my other opinion of that is if you have to use chemicals in the cleaning process um, i feel like it's very necessary to do a thorough rinsing and. And after cleaning to get any chemical residues out. Uh, from the standpoint of coil cleaners, there's times that uh, an alkaline coil cleaner is necessary, but for the most part, I like to try to use a fairly closely uh, close pH balanced coil cleaner. Uh, encapsulants, um, everything, everything, that we use in the way of chemicals and, and so forth, coatings and encapsulants and so forth, have their their tools. They have their place. Um, I don't like to see anything overused. Um, uh, you know, if if an encapsulant or a coating is necessary, why is it necessary? And is it a monetary reason? Is, you know, there you know there there's times that you know uh, it, it's better to remove and replace materials inside the system, such as the insulation and so forth, than to than, than to coat them or encapsulate them. Um, Unfortunately, you know I've been around long enough that I've seen too many contractors use too many coatings and encapsulants to cover up poor clean practices, and you know that's probably my biggest beef about those things. But they all do have their place. They all—they're they're all tools, and it is necessary to use all of them at, at certain times. Um, drain pan treatments. Uh, wh- why does a drain pan have to have a treatment in? Is, is it—is it a leveling problem? Is, is, there, is there something that can be done to get the water out of the pan quicker and so forth? So sometimes the answer is yes, you can do something. Sometimes it's no, you can't. So then you have to look at these things and, you know, I always recommend if they have to do that, use the least caustic um, uh, product is they can get, get that's available for them to get.
2: Okay. Now, Greg, I've got so many questions I want to ask you. Let me cut to a couple, though, that First, I want to get into the safety issues because I, I talked to you a little bit about safety, and um, I'd really like to get some tips for listeners about safety issues when cleaning HVAC systems, and maybe what we can do is uh, start with uh, lockout, tagout, and electrical safety, and if you could give us a little tip and maybe a little story about how you know that tip relates to what people do.
5: Probably, the, the there's two things in cleaning HVAC systems that always concern me the most. And one is the control of any electrical or mechanical energy when you're working on the system. Because particularly, but even in small systems, but uh, even in big systems, you know, you've got people working in and around uh, big blowers and so forth. And then you've got people working, working around electric heat strips. Uh, one thing happened to me years ago that just, scared me to death in that uh, I had trained my people, but we were working on a commercial project and uh, there were also electricians working on this project and they had locked and tagged out a system and my guy saw that and thought he didn't have to do it. Well, he went to lunch and he came back and he crawled up in this system and he got into um, some heating strips that what he didn't know is the electrical contractors had finished their work and took their lock and tag off of it and re-energized the system. Hmm. And uh, uh, it, it almost killed the man, and uh, you know he just he he thought he was safe, and uh, uh, you know that's that's electrical control of electrical and mechanical en- energy while working on these systems. I can't stress how important that is. Uh, the other thing is fall protection. Uh, we're continuously working on in high areas. Um, you know. Uh, uh, and high ceilings and so forth and people getting inside of air handlers and duct work and so forth, it's, it's very important to know and understand how well that system is supported and if you have to add additional support, do it. Um, I had a gentleman in a 400-foot riser once and uh, I, I knew it was going to be dangerous. I hired a professional rigging company to come out and, and, and rig this system to put him down in it Uh, We paid like $12,000 to have this system rigged, and we was down about the 200-foot mark. The rigging company had rigged the power cord improperly, and it snapped, and it came down on his head. You know, we'd spent this much time and effort and money to make sure the man was safe, and the accident still happened. So luckily, he got out of it with a few cuts and bruises and things like that, and mentally shaken up, but it could have been a lot worse. So, you know, I'm I'm a big uh, um, advocate of safety at, you know, safety is job number one on all of these jobs, and um, PPE, uh, just due to the nature of the work we do, it's only common sense that people be trained in proper PPE and it becomes secondary and just part of their nature that every day they, they protect themselves, they protect their lungs, they protect their eyes, they protect their skin because we're working in dirty environments, we're using uh, products that from time to time that uh, are undesirable for skin contact. So, you know, uh, the overall safety thing is always job one for me and uh, I can't stress how important that is enough to anybody that's
2: doing this type of work. Greg, before we go to the uh, roundup, I I wanted to make sure, Cliff, did you have anything you wanted to add real quick? Yeah, I I just had one one quick
4: one. Greg, in all the years of industry volunteer work that you've done, what was the biggest high for you?
5: I think the biggest high for me, um, there's been so many, Cliff. There really has. There's been so many. But when I look back at the early days of uh, the National Air Duct Cleaners Association and the group of people that we had working together that were dedicating a tremendous amount of time, a tremendous amount of effort, and people that had vision of this industry and where it was going and uh, what it could do and the, the level of volunteerism that we had, the things that we were able to accomplish as a group back then, is, you know it, it, it's hard to match uh, with with any other group and you know uh, I'm I'm I kind of think that in the early days that it was NADCA that started everybody paying attention to indoor air quality and you know a lot of people will argue that but uh, when you look at back at the sequence of events and so forth um, and what NADCA was out there and going out there and telling people and. And uh, making people aware of, I, I, you know, maybe not wholly, but I think they had a had a big hand in moving the Indoor Air Quality Association forward. And then, of course, you know, m- more recently, the time I spent on the board of directors of the Indoor Air Quality Association, it was just a phenomenal time. And you know, equally phenomenal things took place during that time. And it's it's such a such a uh, a wonderful thing to work with such a group of hard-working people that are dedicated to an industry and don't mind giving part of themselves to that industry.
2: Well, thanks for that, Greg, and we I've got to, uh, we've got to go to the roundup, but maybe somebody I'm, I'm going to mention a project and maybe somebody in the roundup will ask you about the Rim of the World project. Let's, let's, uh, let's go to the roundup and we'll bring you right back.
3: Okay. Move him on, hit him up, hit him up, move him on, move him on, hit him up, raw
2: hide. cut him out. Cliff had a good suggestion that uh, maybe I should just go first on the roundup here, and I'll, I'll ask the question myself. What what was the Rim of the World project, Greg, and uh, how was it kind of unique?
5: Well, Joe, that was it, that was a, a very recent pro, uh, project that was in relation to the wildfires in California. It, it was uh, uh, it was a unique project in that um, we had a we had five. School campuses in a school district up in Lake Arrowhead, California, up in the top of the mountain. That uh, we had to clean all the air handlers, all the ductwork, every, everything in all five campuses within a three-week time frame, and we were looking at um, uh, somewhere over a half a million square feet of uh, building space and associated ductwork, and it, it, it was a huge effort. Um, the the we brought the ducks people in and uh, um, we had 85 uh, people cleaning duck work in in on this project all at the same time uh, the ducks people uh, were the primary contractors on it we we brought a another con- southern california contractor the pin air group in and we brought a contractor from san diego in coast environmental and both of those contractors have turned out to be Phenomenal contractors, great people to work with, did very high-quality work. And the combination of the three companies working together, uh, we pulled off quite a large feat in, in cleaning all these systems and all this ductwork work within a three-week period of time. And it was it was a wonderful experience, beautiful place to work, and uh, just a great experience to work with so many good people on such a large project.
2: Are, are there different techniques for cleaning smoke damage versus your typical particulate?
5: But sometimes there is. It depends upon the type of smoke and what burned and so forth, and if it was an oily, greasy residue type smoke or whatever. Out there, mainly, we had to deal with blowing smoke that blew through the buildings and so forth, so it was a drier smoke.
2: Okay. Let's move over to uh, Glenn Feldman. Glenn, are you still on the line?
3: I am still on the line. I have a question for Greg. Great. Both the NADCA standard and the ACCA standard have an exception. The standards do not apply to ceiling plenum areas used uh, as return air spaces for HVAC systems. It strikes me that there would be a tremendous opportunity for dust and other contaminants to accumulate in ceiling plenums, and then you add to that the fact that you could have moisture intrusion from uh, uh, roofs and things like that. What... Do people do with ceiling plenums? Why are they excluded, and and what should somebody, especially a commercial or light uh, industrial uh, owner, do when he knows his entire system, including the ceiling plenum, is, is dirty?
5: Well, uh, that's a very good question, Glenn. Um, unfortunately, most of these ceiling plenums are dirty. You know, uh, they that is where the return air goes, and when it goes through the diffuser in the ceiling you have a pressure drop and it falls out and uh these areas do become very dirty. Uh the need to clean these areas um can be important. I've seen some that are just horrible. Of course, I've seen some that weren't also. Uh what we do see in a lot of cases is um where the ductwork does um um terminate into the ceiling space space that leads to the return of the system. Sometimes now they're filtering um, that that um, Termination point, uh, which, which helps a little bit, but uh, there, there, you know, the area does need to be addressed in, in a lot of places, a lot of uh, particular situations. Um, I think there, there is a need for somebody to develop a, a standard or a protocol for addressing, addressing these areas, because uh, the older these buildings get, the worse these areas are going to become.
2: Do you see anybody moving toward that? I'm, you're pretty involved in the associations that work on these things, Greg. Is anybody taking a stab at it?
5: I have heard that uh, there, there's somebody that that may be looking at uh, developing that, and I don't know, Glenn. You may know more about that.
3: I've heard some talk about it, but nothing yeah. officially yet. So,
5: yeah, yeah. So, and I think I think it's something that you know we've evolved to the point now where we've pretty well got the standards in place for all the uh, um, hard-ducted HVAC system components. I think it's an area now that we can move forward and and develop something.
2: I'm curious, Greg, uh, are they still designing those types of systems?
5: Yes, they are, Joe. Wow. And
2: yeah. I, I know of some PEs that wish they wouldn't, I guess. but
5: <laughs> well, That's true, but it, um, in most cases, unfortunately, it comes down to the almighty dollar, and it's cheaper to do it that way.
2: Okay, let's bring the good doctor in here. Dieter, are you still with us?
1: I certainly am. I'm listening carefully, as usual.
2: All right. Any comments or questions, Dieter?
1: Well, yeah. I mean, uh, uh, we are talking about uh, duct cleaning, and obviously I'm well aware of visual inspection and so on, and we touched on that before. Uh, When do do you know when you are done? (laughs) That's one of those things. And I'm the old, you know, engineer, and I did a lot of research. I took thousands and thousands of measurements. And uh, I still believe, or I think, even though it is not done, that a good measurement of the cleanliness of a duct is part of uh, being the job. And, you know, the one thing you've got to keep in mind, if you take a measurement, you've got to know what the error is before you take the measurement. Otherwise, don't do it. There hasn't been, I don't, you know me, I never say zero or hundred, but this time I say it, there has not been one measurement made during mankind on this earth that didn't have an error to it. So if you know the error uh, before you start, well, then the error isn't an error. You know, you expect a result that is and minus something. And I said, hey, if I get it that clean, with whatever method I have, And I have nothing against visual inspection. I certainly use my eyes and I use my nose to do things like that. But uh, maybe we should have a standard, and we do have a standard, to make measurements and say this is clean and this one is not clean, just like we have for lead or asbestos or, you know, any of the other chemicals that I've measured in the past. Well, The
5: the NACA standard does have a, a measurement as the final as the final step oh
1: I'm well aware of it yes
2: Okay. and i'm I'm curious does the ACA standard have similar verification of cleanliness uh greg uh
5: the ACA standard is is very similar on uh in, in, to the point that uh, uh, you use you can use the comparison type test
2: okay, but they don't go to the surf uh the uh, what the vacuum test i guess it is no. Okay, and I guess that's what uh, Dieter, you are suggesting. Maybe we should uh, look well, at that a little more closely. it's
1: it's uh, it's time-consuming. It costs some money. Uh, there is a time delay in, involved. You know, you take a measurement. I mean, you 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 you. It's not like a particle counter where you get instantaneous results. It's a pain in the neck, I, and I understand that there may be situations where you say, wow, you know, I have to do that, but that adds money uh, uh, to the total project. Yes, it does.
2: All right. Well, thanks for that, Dieter, and thanks for joining us again this week. Pleasure Uh, as usual. Before we go, we've got a couple of uh, quick announcements. First, um, IAQ Radio will be off for the holidays and will return live on January 11th. And we've got a special announcement from... uh, One of our founders, actually. um, CJ, Zach Slotnick.
0: Thank you, Joe. Some of you know me as the guy who always breaks things on the air. Others know me as the tech-savvy guy who helps put this show together.
1: Impressive.
0: Most of you, especially those of you who I have met in person, know me as Zach Slotnick, Cliff's oldest son, and increasingly as the IEQ Radio Jockey. It has certainly been quite an adventure here at Indoor Air Quality, IEQ Radio. The year that we have been on the air has brought me a lot of joy, pride, and satisfaction. Joy from working on something new and exciting, the pride from, from working on such a groundbreaking project in our industry, and the satisfaction of helping us to usher in a new era for our industry. I am leaving our industry to pursue a fast-paced, high-tech career at the search engine giant Google, which is the kind of opportunity that people in my field dream about. Whether in the role of a supporter, listener, or even an occasional guest in the future, I will always maintain a good connection with the industry, IAQ Radio, and its growing group of loyal listeners in the years to come.
2: Thank you, CJ, and thanks for your hard work and and the great job you've done in making this uh, quality program that it is. I just wanted to add, I, I listened to a show over the weekend. I won't mention the name of it, but it was the, the sign quality wasn't there. They didn't have the program lined up the way I expected. And it, it was one of the largest shows in the history of uh, podcasting. But um, with your help, we've been able to do, I think, a much better job. show, Marx actually had
0: something that's a little bit appropriate for uh, this moment.
4: Well, I'm certainly
3: grateful for this magnificent washout, a uh, turnout, and, uh, now I'd like to say a few words. Hello? I must be going. I cannot stay. I came to say I must be going. I'm glad I came, but just the same, I must be going.
1: La, la. But I think you me. must stay. If you should go away, you spoil this party. I am through it. I'll stay a week or two.
3: I'll stay the summer through. But I am telling you.
2: All right, thank you, Zach, and thanks to our special guest this week, Greg Long. We appreciate having you on. Of course, I want to thank my co-host, Cliff Slotnick, our cyber jockey, our new wingman. Uh, we're going to bring, be bringing the wingman on here with us. He's going to try and help us take uh, Zach's place. It's going to be a little tough. Of course, our technical director, Dr. Dietrich Wow. I want to thank our sponsors again, and most importantly, our growing group of loyal listeners. Please come back on January 11th and download those shows you missed in the meantime. When We can join us for the next Friday at noon, January 11th, for the next broadcast of IAQ Radio.
0: This has been another IAQ Radio production. 18- Plus.